Christchurch, New Malden, 9th of February 2020. 9.30 service. Anna Larkin speaking on 2020 Vision, a church that cares for those struggling with mental illness. When Stephen first outlined this 2020 Vision sermon series, I thought it was a fantastic idea, an opportunity for us to come together as a church at the beginning of a new decade and reevaluate the things that are important to us to set our priorities and establish, at least on paper, the kind of community that we want to be. And we've had some brilliant talks so far explaining both how and why we should care for creation for the poor, for older people, for lonely people, and I am now tasked with exploring how we can be a church that cares for people with mental illness. This feels like both a huge privilege and a huge responsibility. A privilege because mental illness so clearly provides us with an opportunity to reach out to people around us with God's love at crucial times and perhaps make a real difference to them. A huge responsibility though because mental illness is such a broad topic with areas of stigma that need to be handled gently and areas of taboo that need to be tackled boldly. I'm aware that mental illness can be an incredibly sensitive issue, one that will have affected many people here in all sorts of ways. On a personal note, I have spent most of the last decade on antidepressants. I'm fortunate that I respond well to medication and so I never actually have to feel depressed for longer than a few months at a time, for which I'm very thankful. My husband, Nathan, has also gone through bouts of depression in recent years, so I know what it's like to be married to someone who's experiencing mental illness. Among our family and friends, people close to us have dealt with issues like eating disorders, self-harm and attempted suicide. However, I don't have any training or background or expertise of any kind when it comes to mental illness, so please bear with me this morning. My aim is simply to get a conversation started. I certainly don't claim to have the final word on this topic. It's really hard to pin down a simple explanation of what's meant by the term mental illness. The World Health Organization unhelpfully describes it as comprising of a broad range of problems with different symptoms although they do go on to qualify that they are generally characterised by some combination of abnormal thoughts, emotions, behaviours and relationships with others. Looking at it from a slightly different angle, the Archbishop's Council of the Church of England published a statement saying that mental health is the emotional and spiritual resilience which enables us to enjoy life and to survive pain, disappointment and sadness. It's a positive sense of well-being and an underlying belief in our own worth and in the dignity and worth of others. So mental illness then could perhaps be seen as the absence of some or all of these things. Every year, one in four people will experience a mental health problem. This figure is based on evidence provided by the NHS. So it's based on the number of people who go to their GP for a formal diagnosis. This one in four will include people with serious long-term conditions like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, OCD and eating disorders. It will also include people experiencing debilitating depression and anxiety, among other things. However, missing from this figure are the countless hidden sufferers who struggle alone with mental illness 
and for all sorts of reasons, never quite feel able to speak to a medical professional about it. So this one in four is likely to be quite a conservative estimate. Realistically, it's probably significantly higher than this. In our reading um, that Tim did for us, we heard that God has called us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So what does that mean then for the church? Or what does it mean for us here specifically at Christchurch New Malden if one in four of us here will experience mental illness? How can we care for mental illness both inside and outside of our church community? I've been reading a book called Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. She wrote it after reaching a turning point in her faith, which, although still having a very real relationship with God, left her wondering whether there was still a point, still a need for the church as an institution, for herself and for everyone else. And this book is her exploration of whether the church is still serving a worthwhile purpose, whether, I suppose, the church cares about the right things in the right ways. And in it, she says this, in many churches, the holiest hour of the week occurs not in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but in the basement on a Tuesday night, when a mismatched group of CEOs and single mums, suburbanites and homeless veterans share in the communion of strong coffee and dry pastries and engage in the sacred act of telling one another the truth. They admit their powerlessness, they ask for help, and beneath the flickering of fluorescent lights, amidst tears and nervous coughs and the faint scent of cigarette smoke, they summon the courage to expose their darkness to the light. My name is Jeremy and I am an alcoholic. She goes on to say, I've heard many recovering alcoholics say that they've never found a church quite like Alcoholics Anonymous. They've never found a community of people so honest with each other about their pain, so united in their shared brokenness. Alcoholism, or addiction, is just one of literally hundreds of forms of mental illness. I've tried to find out how many different mental health conditions there are, and it's actually really difficult to get a precise figure, but it looks as though the mainstream medical community recognises somewhere in the region of 300 different disorders. This means that when it comes to caring for people with mental illness, the church can't just have a one-size-fits-all approach. This is obvious to us when it comes to physical illness, so we wouldn't expect to look after someone with the flu in the same way that we would someone with a broken leg. They may both need our help and support, but in completely different ways. And this is just as true when it comes to mental illness. So where do we even begin then? Well, in preparing for this talk, I decided to speak to some of the people I know in our congregation who have been affected by mental illness to find out what we can learn from their experiences. I spoke to about eight or 10 different people here at Christchurch, um, but I know that there'll be lots of other people here this morning whose journeys can help inform us as we seek to care better for one another and for the people around us. As I said at the start of this talk, I hope that this morning is just the beginning of a dialogue that continues through 2020 and beyond. But I think perhaps a good place for us to start is to begin to appreciate how and why some of the ways that we do church might be difficult for people with mental illness. 
For some people, for all sorts of reasons, even just making it out of the house is a huge achievement. And if they manage to overcome this obstacle, it can leave them feeling drained, anxious and exhausted before they've even arrived here on a Sunday morning. It's also very easy to forget that the carers and the families of people with mental illness may struggle to come to church if they aren't able to find supervision or support for the person that they're leaving at home. Sensory processing differences are often associated with autism spectrum disorders, but they are also experienced by people with anxiety disorders and other forms of mental illness. Our church is filled with all sorts of sensory triggers that lots of us probably aren't even aware of most of the time. The hustle and bustle before and after the service, the volume of the music and the voices being amplified through the sound system, the many different sources of light coming in from all around the room, the smells coming from the flowers, from people's perfume, from the coffee being brewed in the lounge. All of these can contribute to a really uncomfortable and distracting environment, and it can take a huge amount of mental effort and concentration for some people to try and tune this out. Some of the things that we say and do as part of our worship can make sitting through a church service really difficult for people with mental illness. For someone battling extreme anxiety or paranoia, for example, confession can be really problematic and trigger a cycle of obsessive thoughts around things that they might have done and mistakes that they might have made, filling them with feelings of shame and guilt, while the rest of us have moved on to singing the next song, often without even giving our feelings a second thought. The words of the songs that we sing can be equally problematic. For people going through times of desperation and depression, for example, it can feel incredibly isolating to be standing in the middle of a room surrounded by people singing about God's love, faithfulness and goodness when this doesn't even remotely affect the reality that they're living day to day. How is mental illness represented or referenced from this platform at the front of the church? Do we ever inadvertently say things that make certain groups of people feel excluded? Do we recognise the potential impact of certain language or particular themes? And are we sensitive in the way that they're used? Churches are really sociable places, which definitely has its benefits, but this too can cause difficulty for people with mental illness. Sharing a cup of tea or coffee in the lounge after the service is for some people a really daunting prospect. Some people with common mental health conditions struggle to play by the unwritten rules of social interaction, which can lead to awkward misunderstandings or feelings of self-consciousness or isolation. People going through periods of mental illness will often either withdraw from social activities or actively seek to avoid them. We all, I'm sure, understand what it's like to feel pressure to put on a front, to try and act like everything is fine, when in reality we're far from okay. Now, I'm really grateful to the people here who talked me through some of their struggles, anxieties and frustrations with church. I'd never even considered some of these factors before thinking about writing this talk, and perhaps that's the same for some of you as well. But what can we do about it? Unfortunately, it would be impossible to specifically tailor our church services and events to cater for everyone across the spectrum of mental illness. But what we can do is recognise when something might be particularly difficult or triggering and try to exercise extra sensitivity during those moments. Finding the balance between treading gently 
but not walking on eggshells around people or skirting life's trickier issues. A church that cares for people with mental illness is a church that provides a safe space where people are able to be their authentic selves without fear of judgment or exclusion. However, it's also really important for church to be a place where we are not always too comfortable. We don't want to patronize people or to limit our hopes or aspirations for them. We should be a community that loves people exactly as they are, whilst also nurturing them and encouraging them and perhaps even sometimes challenging them to become the best possible versions of themselves, the people that God created them to be. Where mental illness is concerned, this means loving and accepting people whose behaviour we might at times find difficult or confusing or frustrating. It might mean going out of our way to make sure that someone feels welcome or noticing when someone hasn't been at church for a few weeks and checking in on them. It means asking people how they are and demonstrating that we really do care about the answer. If they've opened up about having a mental illness, perhaps go away and read up on it in an attempt to better understand and care for them. Last week was Mental Health Awareness Week and lots of you will have seen the campaign urging people to ask twice to make sure that their friends and colleagues know that it's okay not to be okay. At other times, loving people with mental illness might mean being gracious and ready to forgive hurtful words or inappropriate actions aiming to see the best in each other rather than assuming the worst. And this grace and forgiveness is a two-way street. We are all capable, even with the best intentions, of getting things wrong. We mean to show sympathy and instead we come across as patronising. We mean to offer support, but instead we come across as being forceful or controlling. We mean to give someone space or privacy, but instead we come across as being cold or disinterested. As I mentioned earlier, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach to caring for people with mental illness. Mental illness comes in dozens of different forms, and even the same diagnosis can manifest differently across individuals, depending on how it interacts with their own unique personalities and experiences. Even among the people I spoke to when preparing this talk, there were conflicting responses. For instance, one person said that when they were struggling, they really appreciated people offering to pray for them. But another person said that it was the very last thing they wanted when they felt they were at rock bottom. A third person suggested that prayer always helps, but you don't necessarily need to let them know that you're praying for them. If you sense that something is wrong or that someone is not themselves, there's nothing stopping you from privately praying for them on your own. At first, I didn't really know what to do with these contradictory pieces of advice. How are we supposed to care for people with mental illness when we don't know how they would like us to respond? What if our well-intentioned offer of support inadvertently causes offence? Or what if we've totally misunderstood what the other person is going through and what they might need from us? But the more I thought about it, the more I realised that rather than being limiting, this is actually quite freeing. Basically, once we've all acknowledged that there is no one right answer to the issues thrown up by mental illness, it gives us permission simply to ask, to ask people what they need from us. You haven't seen yourself lately. Is everything okay? I've noticed that you haven't been at church much recently. We've missed you. I've heard you're not well. What can I do? 
I'm taking my kids to the park this afternoon. Would you like me to take yours as well? Loving each other won't always be easy and we won't get it right all of the time. But that's the beauty of living in community with each other. We don't have to get it right all the time. We're not expected to. We'll all have good days and bad days. And statistically, one in four of us will go through periods of mental illness. But living life in community means that when some of us are struggling, there are others around to step up or reach out. A church that cares for people with mental illness is a church where everyone is committed to doing the best that they can with the physical, mental and emotional resources that they have at that particular moment. A church that cares for people with mental illness is also a church where everyone models authenticity, demonstrating what it means to own our stories and to allow ourselves to fully belong to a loving community. It means being prepared to be honest about our struggles, whether or not these involve mental illness, and creating an atmosphere where other people feel able and invited to be honest about their struggles as well. We live in a society that prizes independence and self-sufficiency, but I think if we're honest, those ideals don't bear much scrutiny. We are far more likely to survive and perhaps even thrive if we walk alongside each other there is both strength and safety in numbers. Jesus himself modeled this. He showed us what it is like to live in a pattern of giving and receiving from the people around us. He demonstrated love and compassion to everyone he met, and yet he also relied on the people around him, asking his friends to pray for him and allowing people to support him. Giving and receiving means being prepared to learn with and from each other. And finally, a church that cares for people with mental illness is a church that sees and celebrates the image of God in every single member of our community. The Bible says that we are all, every one of us, created in God's image. It can be hard to recognise this in ourselves, even at the best of times, but mental illness can distort the way that we see our, ourselves and the things that we believe about ourselves. When we treat one another with dignity and respect, and embrace each other for who we are, this can begin to replace a sense of worthlessness with a sense of worthiness. Just as in any other kind of family unit, each new addition to our church comes with their own voice and their own gifts, something unique to offer that will enrich our community, and that's something to celebrate. I recently read about someone called Kathy Escobar, who founded a new kind of Christian community in response to exactly this issue. She had been involved in church leadership for many years, and during that time she had encountered Christians who kept their battles with personal pain and mental illness a secret from their churches. She leads The Refuge, which is an eclectic and growing faith community in Denver, inspired both by the Beatitudes in the Bible and by the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. She discovered that when the church functions more like a recovery group than a religious organisation, when it commits to what she describes as practising honesty for the sake of restoration, all sorts of unexpected people show up. And when she writes about this process, she doesn't gloss over it. She admits that healing happens slowly and sometimes painfully, and that this much diversity can lead to awkwardness and drama. But she says that through the refuge, she has experienced mercy, grace, love, and healing like never before. 
and all through what she describes as the community coming together and practicing honesty for the sake of restoration. I looked into this community to find out more about them and actually many of the suggestions that I've made this morning are based on their values and the way that they try to operate. Lots of churches and Christian communities have a formal statement of beliefs that each of their members or participants needs to adhere to in order to belong. Instead of a doctrinal statement, the refuge extends an invitation and I think it's one that we could offer to each other here at Christchurch New Malden as we enter a new decade. We are a mission centre and Christian community dedicated to helping hurting and hungry people find faith, hope and dignity alongside each other. We love to throw parties, tell stories, find hope and practice the ways of Jesus as best we can. We're all hurt or hungry in our own ways. We're at different places in our journey, but we share a guiding story a sweeping epic drama called the Bible. We find faith as we follow Jesus and share a willingness to honestly wrestle with God and our questions and doubts. We find dignity as God's image bearers and strive to call out that dignity in one another. We all receive, we all give. We are old, young, rich, poor, conservative, liberal, single, married, gay, straight, evangelicals, progressives, overeducated, undereducated, certain, doubting, hurting, thriving. Yet Christ's love binds our differences together in unity. In our community, everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. At the start of a new decade, let's commit to creating a culture of honesty for the sake of restoration here at Christchurch, allowing ourselves to give and receive from each other as we journey through the good times and the bad.